Great worship. Thank you, Warner. Thank you, band. Um, I'm going to read a passage of scripture this morning that uh, it was extremely difficult for me uh, this week as I kind of uh, kind of read the implications. So I'm going to start backwards this morning. I'm going to read for you when Jesus said these words, how the crowd responded. So I'm going to read the response first, and then we're going to back up, okay? And then, um, and it's sobering. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open, it's going to be John chapter 6 that we're going to be in today. We're going to be kind of jumping through about the whole thing, but we're going to start in John chapter 6, verse 66. Um, And like I said, we'll go back to what led to this. But here's what it says. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So those are the two responses. The crowds left. They bounced. Um, And those who stayed, as represented by Peter here, stay not because he was excited. That's not an excited response, right? It was like, well... Where else are we going to go? You, you have eternal life. Um, I'm not a better preacher than Jesus. So from my perspective, those are your two options this morning. Um, uh, neither are great. <laughs> and I'm going to back up. And, and so for me, like... I, I want to back up and go, because honestly, as I prepared for this, I went down a path that I think we would go, oh, yeah, that's that's reasonable. Yeah, I like that teaching of Jesus. That's not how they responded, so I must be understanding what this teaching is saying. Um, And so like we've been doing as we've gone through this series, Crazy Things Jesus Said, is we, we... we lay this before us and we place our lives humbly beneath this and say, where else are we going to go? If you have the words of eternal life, and that's my prayer, is that that's our response this morning. Um, because these are going to be challenging. And if these aren't challenging to you, if these words aren't challenging, then, then I, didn't, I didn't do a very good job representing what Jesus said. And I would ask that you, I mean, honestly, I would say, Come back. I, I might misspeak in here. I might say something that, because this should be extreme, excuse me, extremely challenging for all of us this morning. So let me start by praying. Father, we trust you. And we know that you've given us these words for our good and for your glory. And so as we come before you this morning, We just ask that um, you would do what what we spoke about last week, that that your word 
would reveal to us our hearts and our deceived and distracted motivations in this life and lay them bare. And I pray that we would be convicted this morning and that we would repent and turn to you because where else are we going to go, Father? We humbly come before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me back up. So we're going through John chapter 6, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase a lot as we skip through this. And so let me give you where, we, where he got to at the end of this, okay? So at the very beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So he's teaching them. Um, five loaves, two fish, most of you know the story, and he, he takes these and he feeds 5,000 men and presumably 10,000 or more people that are there, and he feeds them miraculously. Um, after the feeding, and you can read this in Matthew chapter 14 is the parallel account of this, after feeding them miraculously, he, he goes away um, and he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and it's, it's nighttime, right? And so they go, they launch, this boat leaves in the middle of the night. And the next sequence is that Jesus meets the disciples on the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And you guys know the story, right? He, he arrives at the boat between 3 and 6 a.m. is what it says. And... They're freaking out. He calls Peter out of the boat. Peter comes out of the boat. And what is he? And, and, and when Peter starts to see the winds and the waves, he fears and he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches out and he saves him. And he says, Oh, you have little faith. Why didn't you believe? And I think it's. It's palpable, right? Because Jesus just done, like, probably if you ask somebody, like, name some miracles Jesus did. <laughs> would those be the two? I don't know. Maybe turning water into wine would be a close third. But those are them, right? Like, those are the big ones. Those are the big ones that we would point to. And, and here are people who witnessed the whole thing. And what does Jesus say? Why don't you believe? Why don't you believe me yet? What else do I need to do? Why don't you believe? And so they, they get to the other shore. And uh, the crowds, they, they left the crowds in the middle of the night, right? And they, they saw the disciples get into the boat, but they didn't see Jesus get into the boat. And so they wake up the next morning and Jesus isn't there. And so they get into a boat and they rush to the other side of the sea and follow the disciples. And there's Jesus. And they go, how did you get here? What, you know, what's going on? And, and what does Jesus say to them? This is John chapter 6, verse 26. This is where we're going to start. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says, you followed me for bread? <laughs> you followed me not because I was your Lord. You followed me because you wanted to get something. 
You, you literally just wanted to feed your stomach. How, how silly. Until we reflect on our own lives. <laughs> and we think, well, why, why are we following Christ? You see, I think often we show up here on a Sunday morning or we join a church and we think about this will help my life. This will be this will be good. This will be good for my family. This will be good for my kids. This will be good for me. I'll get something from the service. And we're doing nothing different than, than they did, right? We're just, we're feeding our stomachs. We're, we're consuming from God. You know, and, and I think, well, look what it says in verse 27. It says, do not work for the food that perishes. So this is Jesus telling them, stop working for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Look, I, I, If you have your Bible open, please underline, endures to eternal life. That word endures is important. What does that mean? That means it comes now and it lasts it's not just this gift in the future. It's not just eternal life that we're all just kind of hoping and trying to make it and building whatever kingdom we want or have here and that we'll just see and hopefully we get to be with God in eternity. No, no. He's giving us something now that will endure to eternal life. And, and, but, but put that in contrast to food that perishes. Everything we do perishes Go through your mind. Minus the relationships that we have that are leading people into a relationship with Christ. Or communicating the gospel. Or glorifying God. That's food that doesn't perish. And what I think is interesting is in uh, verse 26, you know, he's talking about like you're feeding your stomach. And I think there's different ways of kind of like walking through that, right? And like, what do we get? What do we get from Christ? I mean, ser seriously, think about this for a second. In your life, why does following Christ benefit you? I mean, honestly, you guys, we're not a social club, but we could be. I like you guys. We could be a social club, right? We could just be there to just do life together. And you could pick your club. And you could pick a religion, or you can pick uh, 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 some community organization, or you could pick whatever. Or you could just pick a church, and, and that's your little club. And those are your people. You're feeding your stomach. You're, we like to belong. We're social beings. God created us that way. Introverted or extroverted, you're still a social being. And so 
the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, are we pursuing food that perishes? Are we pursuing things for our own kingdoms, for our own selves? So then they go on and they ask Jesus, what do we need to do to do the works of God? What do we need to do? Like, tell me what the list is. And we see this often in the scriptures, right? Um, and the, the question is, how, how is Jesus going to fix my life? Tell me, tell me what I need to do in order to get this. Tell me what I need to do in order to make all of this happen. And they actually tell Jesus, they, and what's awesome about this is that they bring this up, right? So here's Jesus. He feeds the 5,000, right? Bread and fish. And when they ask him, what do we need to do? He says, believe in me. That's what you need to do. Trust in me. Cling to me. We're going to see later on. Abide in me. And what they do is they go, Moses gave us manna in the desert. He provided for us. What are you going to do? In verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What Jesus does here is he, he's like, no, 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 yeah, I, I, they all understood what this whole manna, and I'll, I'll just back up, and if you want to go back and read it, it's actually really interesting. Exodus chapter 16 goes through the whole scenario of where the Israelites are wandering through the desert and they're complaining and grumbling and, and they need food. And so what God does is he actually like every evening quail, which this one doesn't get a whole lot of, uh, people don't remember this part, but like quail come in the evening and they get a bunch of birds and they can eat the birds. And what happens in the morning? The dew falls and the dew is like, and I don't, even, I don't even know how this works, okay? So the dew is like flakes of bread, and they collect it. And they collect it in the morning, and then that's their bread for the day. But here's what's really interesting. And maybe you remember this from, you know, kids. <laughs> they probably know better than we do. If they kept it, it would spoil. Give us this day our daily bread, and so, except on one day, guess what day that was? Yeah, the day prior to the Sabbath, right? So Friday, somehow, the bread wouldn't, he gave them twice as much and the bread wouldn't spoil on the Sabbath. What is he doing? This is God. This is God providing. He's establishing a right relationship. This wasn't just Uber Eats, right? Just delivering food to them when they needed it, right? They were tired and they're like, just, just order something, right? That's not the point of this. He was writing the relationship with them. He's like, no, 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 you need me. You need me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You need a double portion on Friday because that was the Sabbath on Saturday, right? And I'm going to give that to you at just the right time, and I'm going to give you just enough for the day. Where is that relationship? Do we have that relationship with God? No. He, 
We have stockpiles. I have two fridges. Right? What are we doing? God wants us, just so I'm clear, it doesn't mean you have to have one fridge, okay? <laughs> Three quarters of the world would say you don't need a fridge. So let's not go there, right? Where's the relationship? Where's the dependency? We could all probably rattle off the Lord's Prayer, but are we really asking for our daily bread? I've always read that and read the bread part, not the daily part. I'm like, yeah, no, no, I, I need bread every day. We, we know this. No, 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 he's asking for a day's worth of bread. In this context, I, I think that's what, where Jesus is going with us. Where's the relationship? Where's our dependency upon God? And that's the reality, you guys, is we don't have a dependency on God, or at least we don't think we do. And this is why this was a rub, is because Jesus is going to say, no, 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 you need me. You need me. You don't think you need me, but you need me. And as you get older in your life, and your life starts to get towards its twilight years, guess what you start to realize? Oh, well, I need him. Now I need him. Didn't need him when I was 20. Definitely didn't need him when I was a teenager. <laughs> so he goes on in verse 47. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So if you go back and read Exodus chapter 16, it says that, right? That the manna came down from heaven. If you go back and read through John chapter 6, underline how many times it says from heaven. Jesus is very clear. I came from heaven. The bread of life came from heaven. It's coming from God. And of course, the Jews hear this and, and they take Jesus' words that go, he's talking about bread and now all of a sudden he's talking about himself. And they're like, we know your parents. And that's a stumbling block for them. And they're like, well, I, we don't understand. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I am the bread of life. I came from heaven. And here's the tough part, because he expands on this. And this, these are the tough words. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
And many left. And Peter soberly said, well, I guess I'll stay. What do we do with that? My flesh is real food, true food. My blood is true drink, real drink. Everything in me wants to go, symbolism, it's symbolism. He didn't really mean that. He just means it's, it's like it. It's like food. I need food. I need food. We all know we need food. We need drink. But we don't need Jesus? Isn't that where that logic train goes? You see, I don't think this is symbolism. I know it's not symbolism. Let me tell you why I know it's not symbolism. Is if you go to just a little bit later, we'll come back to these, but uh, in verse 57, Jesus says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He says, The reason I exist is because of the Father, and the reason you exist is because of me. This isn't symbolism. He's saying, literally, you need me. You need me. You need Jesus more than you need food. Do we believe that? Really? Do you believe that? Turn over to Colossians 1.17. Or you can write in the margins if you want. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. I've always read that as the universe and the planets and gravity and laws of physics... That's how I've always read that. But do you think all things hold together includes your puny little body? Yeah. Does Jesus sustain you? Or does the food that you're going to eat this afternoon sustain you? Think about this. What do we need? Perhaps this is why we're encouraged to fast. To remind us of what we really need. What does Jesus say when he's tempted in the desert? Matthew 4, 4. Say he's 40 days, he's gone without food. And, and don't, don't give me the, like, he's God, he can, he's not really hungry because he ate. Right? So he... He had a stomach. He was, he was a, a man like us in the sense that like, he suffered and he was tempted. And he was tempted in the desert. So 40 days, he hasn't eaten. And what does Satan do? He tempts him. And what's Jesus' response? Man does not live on bread alone, but by the word of God. Do you believe that? 
See, these are all things, we, we have all known these verses. I'm not reading anything new here. But when Jesus says that my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, what he's saying is that you actually need him to survive, to exist, that it will endure to eternal life. How many times have you been starving? How many times have you been starving for God's word? How many times have I been thirsty? How many times have I been thirsty for worship? I think those are fair questions for us to ask. Because I think it shows what we think we need. It shows our motivations. Let me, let, me, let me just make this really practical, I think. And, and like I said, I don't, I don't know where this goes, but I know Jesus is this, is, his, this is what he's saying. And this is what was offensive because we don't want to require, depend on somebody else. We really don't. That's our sinful, rebellious state. Right? And, and this idea of depending upon a creator, depending upon a savior, is not something that we really want. We'd like to tack it onto our lives, but we really just don't want it to like consume our lives. But what Jesus is saying here is that we need to consume him. Abide in him. What does your food and your drink do for you? Keeps your metabolism going. It gives you energy, allows you to physically live. You could be eating a $100 steak, and your life could be meaningless. You could be suffering and struggling and lost discouraged and have a full stomach. The food doesn't do anything. Food does nothing for us spiritually. It does nothing for us emotionally. Well, all right. Somebody out there is probably thinking, well, actually, it's good to have food. It does help you balance your life. All that stuff. Yes, but it really doesn't do anything other than just keep this body of ours moving. The meaningful things, the relationships, the, the everything that we're doing to glorify God, all of that is fed off of what? Jesus. And I can prove that because some of you probably had a horrible breakfast or no breakfast this morning, and some of you had a great breakfast this morning, and guess where we're all at? We're all in here worshiping. You see, Jesus is true food. 
And so for us, as he writes, as God writes the relationship with the Israelites, with the man in the desert, this is what Jesus is doing for us. He's going, no, no, you don't get it. You need me. You need me. So go back to John 6, uh, 57 here. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. And then skip down and says, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Why are we pursuing food that perishes? And why are our lives wrapped around all? When you wake up tomorrow morning, what do you need? Listen, I start running. Maybe I eat breakfast, maybe I don't. But I start running, I start knocking out my to-do list, and I start doing things to build my kingdom, to do my things, to keep things going. I would imagine most of us are the same. But what Jesus is saying is, you need me. You need me more than you need your food. And when you're exercising and you're thirsty, why don't you thirst for me? That's a good question for us. Because here's the thing. If, we, if we're coming to the cross and we're saying, I want peace, I want contentment, I want joy, and I want all of these things, and, and, and I've heard that Jesus provides them. He does. Do you know how he provides them? Because when you're in the embrace of Jesus... Nothing else matters. That's why you're content. Not because you don't need anything else. It's because nothing else matters. The reason you have peace when you're in a relationship with Christ is because all the conflict and the, the stressors of life around you fade what did, what did we just uh, sing in that second song? That Like all these things next to God are like a candle next to the sun. Everything fades to black. That's our God. That's what he offers us. That's the good news. And so if we're coming to the cross and we're saying, oh, I, I want this and I want this and I want this and I think this is going to help things, God goes, no, you just need me. And I just don't think we believe that. So how do you respond this morning? Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's like, well, I'm out. I, 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 don't, I don't need him. 
I hope that's not it. My prayer for all of you this morning and through this week has been that the response is, well, you're the God of all creation. And you alone have the keys to eternal life. And you promise us this. Where else are we going to go? And the beautiful good news is that God is standing there with his arms wide open. And he says, believe in me. Trust in me. Abide in me. Cling to me like your life is at stake. Because it is. Let me pray.